0: for their clients and professionals, real estate professionals, to live better lives. And this is what I really love. Uh, they're, They're extremely proud about giving back to the local community. They donate their time and resources to make an impact here locally. And they've been doing that for more than a decade. So whether you're buying or selling a home, Please call the Realty One Group today at 888-461-0101. We're talking about Bill Walsh and just answering questions and being there as an asset. Uh, Well, that's what the Realty One Group uh, is here for, uh, to uh, help you, whether you're buying or or selling a home, 888-461-0101. Tailgating.
1: Tailgating. Yeah, tailgating is always a blast.
0: Yeah! It's time to start your Raider football day with the morning with your host, Clay Vinny Bonsignor, and Heidi Fang on Raider Nation Radio.
1: Welcome back to the second hour of Raider Nation Radio's Morning Tailgate. Good morning, everybody. It's Clay Baker, Vinny Bonsignor, and you... As we broadcast live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studios here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, a lot to get to in this hour. We'll hear from uh, audio from Derek Carr, as well as go deeper into the 53-man roster from Vinny's story at VegasNation.com. Six nine one eight seven is the Ash text line, and you can hit us up on Twitter at RNR nine twenty AM. Vinny and Clay on your Funk Tuesday, and joining us now is the one and only Raider Nation Grammy winner. It's Jason Fitz, the radio, digital, and TV host with. ESPN, and he's here with us now. Good morning to you, sir. How are you, Jason? Oh, I am great. How are y'all doing? Woo, we're good, doing man. Good. We're good. I, uh, just uh, we, we never got your actual opinions on on the Sioux, uh, you know, the, the rumors that he may want to uh, leave the door open to become a Raider. He's in the offseason looking for a job. He did that infomercial on NFL Live. Uh, he left it open for the Raiders, but is he the right fit? Yeah, see,
2: this is, the, this is the Casey Hayward approach is what I think What the Raiders are doing. Because I will say uh, my radio producer was on campus. I, I was in uh, L.A. and New York last week, so I didn't actually meet in uh, But my, my radio producer saw him in the hall okay. and uh, stopped him and said, look, Fitz has got to know. Like, we all know the Raiders seeing <laughs> him. Is it real? And he, he told me afterwards, like, if Domica did not mince words, he would love to play for the Raiders. I think what we're seeing right now, though, to the point that so many people have made that the Raiders have 52 uh, tackles, it feels like, on the roster. There's a smart play here, and that smart play is to go into camp, see what you got, and if you've got what you need, great, you're fine. And mm-hmm. if you don't have what you need, Indomitian doesn't need training camp. either, His body doesn't need that wear and tear. He can come in right away and be able to play. So whether they're going to look at him at week one, because at that point it changes the way contracts work, or whether they look at him at training camp, I think if the defensive tackle is in the, in the room – can't give them what they need, then 100% Ndamukong becomes in play. Is he a savior at this point for the franchise? No. Could he win you a game or two throughout the course of the year with a, a timely sack? Yeah. So I think there's value to him. But a beautiful world is that the young guys step up and they don't need him.
0: Jason, put your math hat out on. Uh, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. I hope you're ready early in the morning for these numbers. I'm going to throw two sets of stats at you, okay? Uh, the first is 64.2% uh, completion percentage. 4,084 yards, 26 touchdowns. All right, just remember those numbers. Uh, And the next line I'm going to read to you is 67.2% completion percentage, 4,886 yards, and 41 touchdowns. Uh, Do you have any idea what numbers I am reciting to you right now? No, so I'm I'm
2: interested to see where we're going.
0: Okay. Uh, The first set of numbers was Matthew Stafford in 2020 with the Detroit Lions. 26 touchdowns, 4,084 yards passing, 64.2% completion percentage. The second set of numbers, 41 touchdowns, 4,886 yards, and 67.2 completion percentage was what he did a year later in Los Angeles uh, with a much better Rams team. Uh, There's a lot of comparisons between Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr. I'm not saying they're the same exact quarterback. But their numbers, historically, uh, throughout their careers, are eerily similar. Could I make the argument, could we make the argument, that with Devontae Adams, a healthy Darren Waller, everything else that the Raiders have going for them offensively, including uh, an elite play caller uh, in Josh McDaniels, that we could see a similar jump in numbers with Derek Carr this year?
2: 100%. Look, I'm, I'm absolutely all in on the Derek Carr MVP conversation because... Frankly, if Derrick doesn't have that sort of year, then there's going to be a real question mark about Derek Carr's future. Like You start looking at, at what this is going to be all about, and, and I know I've said this a few times, and I think I've said this to you guys, but my, my concept on offense changed so much last year when I was sitting with Ryan Clark watching a bunch of film on defenses, and he kept stopping things to show me why it was significant. I think that's an important learning tool for everybody. But when you were watching particularly the Chiefs, and he was breaking down the Chiefs at a level that – I, I I got smarter just by hanging out with him. What he kept showing me was pre-snap adjustments being made by the defense to account for the speed of Tyreek Kill, and that's a big part of what allows the rest of their guys to get open because you have to adjust for it. And not knowing that Devontae would end up where he is now, part of what we also looked at were pre-snap adjustments that teams make before the snap to account for Devontae, and you are sneaking help wherever you can find it. My question to anybody in the league right now is if you sneak help to to Devontae, who in the hell is going to cover Hunter and also Darren Waller? Like There's just an element of this offense that, frankly, you're going to have to pick your poison. So uh, my mindset at this point is that with these weapons and these tools, Derek Carr should absolutely be a top three quarterback in the NFL this season. I I put a little bit of cash on that MVP, odd because – Look, a lot has to break right for the Raiders to go to the Super Bowl or for the Raiders to be in that MVP conversation, but it's going to rest on the uh, shoulders of Derek Carr when it happens because he'll get all the love for it. I I think this is going to be a top three offense in the NFL. They are going to score points all over the place. We are going to see picture poison touchdowns all over the place. This is going to be an explosive, explosive Raiders offense.
1: Who can be your major red zone target, though, for the receiving touchdowns on the end? And is that Darren Waller? Is this where we start to see Darren Waller's uh, role become more enigmatic inside the 20?
2: Yeah, I mean, play calling last year inside the 20 was uh, wretched. And I went back and watched a bunch of games. And I know we all talk about a couple of routes that we remember that didn't get into the end zone. But it was problematic for the entire year. So red zone offense was gross, right? And so play calling is going to make a big difference. Now, red zone I don't expect red zone touchdowns to necessarily go through the roof for Hunter Renfro simply because his routes take time to develop, and we don't know what this offensive line is going to look like. So if you're trying to be tricky in the red zone, which is tougher to do, you'll need more time for Derek Carr. If you're talking about I'm just going to force a matchup, Waller is going to be the benefactor a hundred times out of a hundred on the fact that they'll have to account for Devontae. So in the red zone, I think, I think Waller gets a bunch more looks, a bunch more touchdowns. I think Waller is going to get himself a massive, massive contract extension by the way he plays this year.
0: We are a couple of weeks out of uh, minicamp and, and OTAs. Uh, theoretically, um, we're going to presume that the Raiders have spent uh, a good chunk of those two weeks really assessing and self-reflecting on this roster. Uh, where they are at certain position groups, they've got film now to look at. Uh, they've got a body of work in the classroom uh, to look at and refer to uh, to to either you know ease any concerns or maybe even create some concerns. Uh, Jason, the Raiders haven't made any moves uh, for a while now. Now, along the offensive line. What are we to read into that, especially now um, with the conclusion of an entire offseason program?
2: Yeah, I was a little surprised, honestly. I thought that there'd be a veteran body that came in at some point. So they're performing better than we expected, would be step number one. Step number two, and I agree with the panic on it. I think if there's any Achilles heel to this offense, we all know it's the offensive line. But there's also this moment of, and I wonder how many in a copycat league, I wonder how many offensive coordinators have spent the last six months studying every single snap from Cincinnati. Because I'm telling you, their line wasn't just bad. It was atrocious. It was mm. awful. And their ability to still be great offensively speaks to the play calling and to disguising things and to getting guys open quickly to run in routes that, you know, they're, they're in a world where Jamar Chase is open within three yards, and that's going to be important. Devontae can do the same thing, even though they're different in the speed category. I, I mean, I think that they've been – got to look at what the Bengals did and then look at yourself in the mirror and say, how do we mask this deficiency? But if it was a deficiency that I think it was, is, then I think they would have brought bodies in. So I think they've probably seen better versatility than, uh, than necessarily individual playmaking, and now the question is, can make all these versatile ingredients it like you can have the the most versatile ingredients in the world, but if your pizza crust is bad, it's still going to be a bad pizza. So like, that's my question. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, yeah, it's always about
1: the crust. Yeah. It makes you know, the bread makes the sandwich, the crust makes the pizza. And for, for when you look at a defense, like the Bengals had, they were opportunistic. They were able to make up for certain shortcomings uh, with the offensive line because they were able to go and at least sort of give the offense other chances to remain in the game and and Joe burrow was absolutely fantastic last year is his, his release is is mind-boggling but the defensive side though for the Raiders is something that you know they don't have to necessarily be a you know a top 10 defense in order to get further into the playoffs uh, the Bengals didn't have that they just were uh, you know a little more opportunistic and and had a few more interceptions than the Raiders did how do you feel that this DB group for the Ra- is starting to pan out. I know you want to see the proof of concept, but if let's say somebody like uh, uh, John Abram isn't uh, necessarily going to be that that guy that's in the too high safety to sit and pick off uh, the quarterback, uh, what if they start adding other guys in free agency? Because there's still names like Chris Harris out there that could still go out and and hawk the ball.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. We know what this defense is going to require. And this is the under talked about portion of all of it, I think defensively. Like we've talked a little bit about the fact that our, we've talked a lot about the fact that the defense will be air quotes multiple. We know that that's sort of like a, a catch word. That's going to require a particularly smart play from somebody in the secondary and from somebody at the second level. So you're going to need linebackers that are smart and you're going to need safeties or corners that are smart. There are a lot of, of, of good players on this defense there aren't a lot of great, epic, oh-my-God players on this defense. Now, uh, obviously, you know, we're going to hold the pass rush in a different conversation. That is Mm -hmm. sort of the saving grace of this defense. But when you get into camp, I'm looking at every vet. You mentioned Chris Harris. That's somebody that knows the game so well. The the people that are going to be able to come in and make a contribution on this team defensively are players that have been in the league for eight years that have smart mindsets that understand a lot of different defenses that have seen a lot of different things. And And I wouldn't rule... Any of like I think Trayvon uh, Maring has the opportunity to step up and and become an absolute star. I have no concern in his ability. And I still believe if he can stay healthy, Trayvon Mullen as a corner has the opportunity to be a star. Nate Hobbs has the opportunity to be a star. Everybody else on that defense, once you get into the secondary unit, to me, is replaceable. And so the the guys are going to have to show that they're not that. They're going to have to show that they can absolutely play and they can play smart football. This is going to be a defense that requires smart football. When's the last time we saw a consistently smart defensive team for the Raiders? So it's going to take a lot of football intelligence to make this defense work. Veterans are going to be absolutely key. I I think the Raiders, all the way up to week one, are going to be playing with their chess pieces there.
0: I'll say this though: uh, You just mentioned Trayvon Morrig as a player that you think has a chance to be uh, a star. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seemed like that's where you were you were headed with that, and Nate Hobbs uh, as well. We know that Max Crosby is a star. We know that Chandler Jones uh, is is a, is a star caliber player. I'll ask you this, Jason. You've been following the Raiders a long time. When was the last time you could, uh, especially after seeing uh, a rookie year? So you have a body of work with Nate and Trayvon Morg. When was the last time you could legitimately say that about multiple players on the Raiders' defense?
2: No, man. You're talking about like the Nandi Asomugwa era, right? right? Like that we all love. Like that's you're right. Like we're going that far back. And when you say it out loud, I'm the first to admit. Like I rethink everything. And when's the last time that we looked at? Like I always, I always look at at coaching. Uh, and when, when you look at shoes on the other foot game, my favorite game to play, if you were a coach facing the Raiders today and you were, like I said earlier, if you're a defensive coordinator and you're looking at this offense, you're saying, oh, my God, well, if you're an offensive coordinator, for the first time in a long time, you know, okay, look, they got a guy in Hobbs that I think is going to turn out to be a, a slot player for the next generation. I think the Raiders are set at that position. Uh, and, and I mentioned Marion earlier. I, I think he is a star. And, and, look, I watched him a lot in college. He is capable of absolutely anything you throw at him and the fact that he was invisible much of last year is a statement to his rookie year. So I think he, he, you're absolutely looking at and saying we gotta count for him, we got to count for Hobbs. What are we gonna do with the about, about the pass rush? Like those are three things that we haven't said about the defense in a very long time. And by the way, the the new regime is obviously continuing what the last regime did and giving Divine Diablo oh, yeah. more opportunity to grow. Like Divine is somebody that you know, I thought it would take several years to really hit a peak, and I watched in the last end of last year, saying, "My God, like if we'd have known that this level of comprehension and explosiveness was out there, he wouldn't have lasted as long as he did." I mean, he didn't he didn't show the same flashes at Virginia Tech that he showed last year with the Raiders. So, I think there's a lot of young opportunity to step up.
1: Do you think that the opportunity could be there for a guy like Malcolm Kuntz, though, to make that next step from his first to second year?
2: So, I'm biased here. I know uh malcolm's college coach very very well okay. and when he was drafted i sent him a text uh lance leipold who's now the head coach at kansas uh, and i believe is going to have some success at kansas which is unbelievable to say but lance uh, coached him at buffalo and i texted lance and i said what what, what what did i just get as a fan what did i just get and his response to me that i'll never i was on air as i was getting these texts and he's like you got a kid that outworks everybody. You got a kid that outstudies everybody. You got a kid that needs a second to learn. But the thing is, he will learn. And he's like, if the Raiders invest in him over the course of two years, by year three, it will pay off dividends times 100. We saw some of that last year, right? Like, by Mm -hmm. the end of the year, what did we see? Like, Malcolm Kuntz was being put in situations where he could be successful. So he's a learner, and I'm excited by learners. We saw that with Max Crosby, right? Like, a learner with tools, somebody that's willing to outwork everybody, I think Malcolm Coons has the opportunity this year. We'll see a bigger role from him. I think he's a five or six sack guy, honestly. And by next year, we're talking about him as one of the, start, the stars of this defense.
0: And the pride of White Plains, New York, uh, always yes, got to yeah. always got to give a shout out uh, to the NY. Uh, all right, last question for me, uh, Jason Fitz. Uh, there was uh, one thing really stood out uh, to me um, in minicamp and OTAs. Uh, was how the Raiders approached um, their run game. I know they're just in shorts and, you know, shoulder pads and helmet, uh, yada, yada, yada. I get it. There's not a lot of physicality. But to the extent that they could be physical, they were extremely physical uh, in their run intent, uh, in, in what they were emphasizing, how they were getting after it on the offensive line, and even in some of the run play calls. Now, we didn't see. A whiff of Jace uh, or, or uh, um, uh, Josh Jacobs or Kenyon Drake—they were in the building. They weren't out on the field. Uh, maintenance stuff going on with them. Uh, but I think this run game uh, has a chance, has a chance to be much better than it has been uh, in the in the recent past. Uh, especially if guys are healthy and guys uh, on the offensive line turn some corners. What are you hoping for and expecting from the run game?
2: I think we're going to see a simplification on the run game that makes it easier to execute for the offensive line. Uh, A lot more explosive quick-gap reads, which I think is important. And these running backs are going to be told to essentially get forward, right? Like, we always talk about left or right versus north and south, but we also know that when your offensive line isn't uh, holding up blocks the way they need to hold up blocks, that's difficult to do. It's easier said than done. So I'm looking for a running game. Like, go back, I would tell every Raiders fan, go back and watch the Patriots-Buffalo game, which... By the way, was, to me, the the single most brilliant offensive coordinator game I've seen in Mm -hmm. my years of fandom. And it reminded me of one specific game every Raiders fan knows, and I happened to be in the building when it happened. And it was the Rich Gannon game against the Steelers in Pittsburgh back when the Raiders were great, obviously. It was a big game at night and the Raiders realized they could throw the ball on Pittsburgh, and they did it like 40 straight times. And it was, for Steelers fans, it was the most maddening, defeating thing. They were all around me. Everybody knew that Jerry Rice and Tim Brown were going to get the ball, and nobody could stop it. And I I looked at that, and I was like, man, that is how you coach. My strength, your weakness, I will run it into the ground and tell you stop it, which I haven't seen in the NFL since I saw the Patriots do it to the Bills. And that was a simple running attack that was just absolutely you knew what running plays were coming and the bills couldn't stop it and by the way the bills are a good team so you know i i look at all of that and say that is what this Raiders like that's the example of how the raiders are going to run the football i think simple explosive get forward runs are going to be a huge key to this team and they're going to wear you down with this many running backs like when they run the football it is going to they're they're going to do it very intentionally i'm excited for this run team
1: Hey, lastly, Jason, uh, love your work last week, Jalen and Jacoby. Uh, also with Bart Scott, you, you had a, a, a great conversation with him about Arch Manning committing to Texas. Yeah, fill us in on some of the stuff that you've observed because the work you do in college football is exemplary, but I'm sure that this was a, a little bit of a surprise because everybody thought they had a piece of Arch Manning, but it was Texas that came away with it.
2: So a little over a year ago, I have a friend that is a booster at a different school. He's part of the booster club at a different school. And right after Name, Image, Likeness came through, he sent me a text a little over a year ago. And I told all my buddies at the time, Arch is going to Texas, because he had, I won't I won't reveal what school he went in for. But he went into a meeting uh, to pitch for Arch. And the minute he walked in the room, he was told the dollar amount was $14 million for Texas. Now, I don't know what they settled on, and I don't know what the final amount was, but a year ago the rumor was $14 million is what Texas was offering Arch Manning and name it was like those opportunities to come to Texas. So they got their kid. The hardest part about that's going to be now the expectations that are on him because, man, he, he is going to end up playing in the SEC against every school he turned down, mm-hmm. and Texas needs him to be great in that moment. Texas is trying to ensure that when they go to the, the SEC, they are not the fourth best team. Unfortunately— mm-hmm. You can't, unless you got a lot around him, you're still going to be third best. So, you know, there's a lot of ground to cover. This is going to be the most pressure-filled signing I think we've ever seen for quarterback because not only does he have the name, not only is it Texas, not only does the media want Texas to be back every year, but, my God, the pressure on him to win, knowing that there's a ton of money behind him from name-image likeness, That's the new world for these kids, and that's going to be money management they'll figure out, managing the expectations that come from boosters that outbid every other booster, whatever that final number was, to get him to Texas. Man, I just keep thinking of Buddy Garrity on Friday night lights showing up at his door saying, hey, Arch, what were we doing yesterday? What was that play? You know that that's going to be real
1: for him. <laughs> oh, fantastic, Jason! That's great, man. Hey, I appreciate your time. Thank you again for today. I hope you have a, a great and safe July Fourth ho- holiday. And let's do this again next week when you can. Thank
2: yeah. Shameless plug: Tune into the hot dog eating contest next week on ESPN. I'm back as the sideline reporter. Let's go! Oh, attaboy.
1: I love it. Thank you, Jason. Oh man, he's going to be live in Coney Island for the great showdown, the Great American Classic. The Nathan Hot Dog Eating Contest, the 10 Minutes of Fame. Yes. I mean, nothing can beat that with all the Americana and uh, the pageantry that goes in with competitive eating.
0: I'm getting agita just thinking about it. Uh, by the way, <laughs> um, uh, the Italians out there will know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, he uh, he made a lot of great points about uh, Arch Manning, and um, in normal cases, I would co- totally agree with him in terms of the expectations, uh, the money that he's getting, um, you know, with the NIL, but... I just, you know, it's a Manning, like like he's grown up mm-hmm. with expectations. He's he's, you know, uh, the offspring of one of the great quarterback families and NFL families uh, in the history of NFL families. Uh, I think he's going to have that part of it taken care of. Uh, I I would worry about it for a lot of people, but I think with him, that's that. I'm not I'm not overly concerned about that part of it.
1: Arch Manning looks like he's had a personal trainer since he was ten.
0: Yeah. He looks, he looks the part. He talks the part. Sounds like it. Um, and I think he's going to be a leader. I think he's going to be a Pied Piper for that program. Uh, the minute NIL came about, one of the one of the schools that I immediately thought of was Texas. There's, it's a bottomless pit there at Texas, and there's so much. Um, Uh, motivation to get texas football back to where it quote-unquote belongs oh yes um you know uh and if you've ever been to austin uh it's a it's a great little city um and it's got a great mixture of college and you know the government's there as well and the funkiness uh, of, of downtown uh it's really ripe especially at this time with with the introduction of of nil's it's really ripe uh to blossom and um i'm you know as as somebody that uh you know is is not sick and tired of the SEC, uh, but but kind of like I've got some hangover on Alabama and and, and all that, you know. Yeah, uh, there's some
1: fatigue. It's now. just
0: a little bit of fatigue right now, yeah. and it would be it would be great to see another program just really step up uh, and handle them for a little while. Um, and uh, and I think Texas has a chance. I think USC. Uh, I know they're all the way out that west, be good. Uh, but but um, you know the Pac-12 needs USC to be good. That's just the bottom line. If USC is good, then that becomes the example, and everybody is charging up to go get USC, and it makes your whole conference a lot better. We saw that when they were great because there were some. I remember watching. I was at the Coliseum when Aaron Rodgers almost took Cal uh, to beat a really good USC team. I think he was he was like ridiculous on completions. <laughs> Uh, and it ended up with a goal line stand, uh, you know, uh, at uh, for, for USC, and I want to say Aaron beat him up at Cal. With Mar- Marshawn Lynch might have been on that yep. team. I, I'm, I'm, you know, losing track of some names and and the years. It all kind of becomes a blur. But the fact is, there were some really good under t- teams in the Pac-12 when USC was good. They, it's vital that that the Pac-12 gets uh, them up and running. And I think Lincoln, Lincoln uh, Riley is the guy to get that
1: done. He's got to. And they like they like you said, Texas and USC. They have money to spend. Oh yeah, they've had boosters for years, decades. You know, trying to find ways to help the program. Now they can, <laughs> you, know, you know, and it, it, they're going to get the best that, that money can buy. It's
0: really interesting about USC because for a while they were the NFL team in Los Angeles. Oh, they yeah. were literally the NFL team in L.A. And so when it, when we would be in our meetings, you know, working with the L.A. Daily News at that time, like who's going to suffer? Who's going to feel the 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 uh, brunt most if the NFL comes back to Los Angeles? And as it turns out, it wasn't just one team. It was two teams uh, with the Rams and Chargers like some. It was going to have to give somewhere and i always felt like if usc doesn't take care of business right now if they don't make the right decisions in terms of who they hire as coach and athletic director uh, they could fall down a little bit and it's going to be hard for them to get back up especially if the nfl comes in here and really starts taking command and the rams have certainly done that now the Chargers, you know with justin herbert they're doing pretty well too um they're kind of an afterthought in a way the rams aren't so usc it, it did. It fell mm-hmm. off. Like if you look at attendance figures uh, for games at the Coliseum, uh, these last few years, it's been terrible.
1: Yeah, I've been wondering about that. Terrible. Like uh, just large, large vacancies in in the stands, yeah. and and I've often wondered, like, all right, um, th- was, was I not noticing that before? But no, I I would have noticed that. No, no, it was just because
0: they were. They've been bad for a while now. They've yeah, been, and. You know the the Rams have come in and and kind of towered above them a little bit. I mean, think about it. It's mm-hmm. the next day. Sunday is the is when the Rams play, uh, and there's times where USC will play the Saturday before, even when the Rams were playing at the Coliseum. So and they didn't handle their business correctly, and and they get caught up in their own uh, aura and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it and it could be costly for them, and it did. Uh, but I think they've made the right decisions now, especially bringing in a guy like Lincoln Riley, uh, to really inject a lot of enthusiasm and excitement. And uh, obviously, recruiting is on the upswing there, and that's what it takes. Um, and so uh, it'll be great because you're talking to somebody that was at the Coliseum when you know Oregon would roll in or Stanford would roll in uh, when they were really good, uh, or or Notre Dame, and and the and the Coliseum was rocking. There was nothing like a Saturday night game at the Coliseum when it's a full house and you've got Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart and Carson Palmer and on and on and on and on and on and on with all the great players. It was, it was a, a fun, fun time. Um, and, and it's not, it's not impossible for them to, to, to get that back because uh, I know that there's a lot of USC fans that are just starving for it. They want it so badly, uh, and that, that if they could get on the right path and create a powerhouse out here to challenge the Alabamas and we'll see what Texas does and Ohio State, uh, that's when college football is rolling.
1: Yes, and they need to have that balance of power on the western side of the uh And by the, the way, country. Alabama, come
0: out and play a game in California one day. Yeah. You know, get out um, of the, get off the bus <laughs> to Mississippi State or wherever yeah. it is that you go. Come out west. USC will come out and play you uh, in, in in Alabama if you want. You know, at some point, uh, let's let's get that going. Alabama, get out of your little comfort zone. Uh, schedule some tough opponents uh, out of conference. Come to LA uh, in a year or two, uh, and 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 let's see you play at the Coliseum against USC. What, what, what,
1: what? <laughs> uh, that takes away all their uh, their Bethune Cookman trip and the Alcorn State trip. Right, exactly. In November when they need the uh, the uh, the the little bag, they'll hand on the bag and say, "Hey, everything will be fine. Thanks That's for the right. check." All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Actually, I want to hook you guys up, but we have several tickets to give away today. We have, uh, I got two pair of tickets for WWE Money in the Bank. And it's Saturday, July 2nd, Saturday, MGM Grand Garden Arena. Tickets are available at axs.com, but I just need you to call 702. 365 702 365 9200 Be colour number nine, and we'll hook you up. I got a pair of tickets for WWE Money in the Bank Saturday, July 2nd, MGM Grand Garden Arena. Let's go. Hot, hot, hot,
0: hot, hot, hot. The grill is still sizzling and the drinks are cold. So let's get back to your morning tailgate with Clay Baker on RNR 920 AM.
1: I'm I mean, just uh, the speed of the game, being a pro, you know, um, the whole nine yards. It's uh, last year being my first year, and this year being here too. Um, kind of like know what to expect, you know what I mean? It's not, uh, it's not all brand new. So just building off all the things I learned last year, making them even better. Alex Leatherwood coming back Crown Raider Nation Radio. Vinny Bonsenior, Clay Baker, Curtis Mayfield on a Funk Tuesday. Thanks again for Jason Fitz for popping on. Uh, all the interviews will be heard on our podcast page. dot com, iTunes, Audible, and Amazon. At 9 o'clock, we'll have Benjamin Albright from the Denver's radio network, Denver Broncos flagship, KOA. We'll talk to him and go a little behind enemy lines and find out what's going on in the mile high. Uh, we'll find out more about also the expectations of what that team needs as well. Uh, but you know, here from the uh, text line six nine one eight seven, on our earlier conversation about the offensive line, a text comes in and asks about Alex Leatherwood. As we heard him coming back there, what a, were the lessons learned from last year, and and I think it's just a, a it, it's a good question. Just to at least ask. It says either Leatherwood is going to have a perfect preseason going up against depth pieces, or the Raiders will find a right tackle in free agency. That's a question. Um, you know what I? I, I don't think that they're going to look into free agency because, as you brought up, like chemistry is so important. If they're not going to find the guys in this collection that they have right now, they're, they're, they're going to find somebody that's going to uh, be that starting right tackle. And If it's not Leatherwood right away, they're going to be okay. I have a feeling like going out in a free agency, that would be something if it was drastic injuries and they needed somebody.
0: Um, unless you do it right away, unless you do it prior to training camp, okay. I think that if you wait until I think what the uh, the texture was insinuating was uh, or was getting at was um, you'll you'll give him the entire uh, preseason to show what he can do or not uh, and at the end of the uh, uh, preseason if they feel like he's not you know uh, up to the challenge, go out and get somebody. I think if you wait that long that can get a little bit dicey. I okay. think I think if you de- uh, uh, determine it now like, you know what? We just don't like, and and I gotta I gotta also uh, uh, throw in there, you know, Brandon Parker. Brandon Parker is still uh, a part of this football team and uh, still, you know, in the mix at right tackle. I know that that might not be the most ideal um, sounding thing to, to Raider fans, uh, but but he is here, and and he obviously, the the fact that he is here. Um, you have to believe that he created some sense of, some sense of um, you know comfort level for this coaching staff. You know they're not going to. I don't True. get the sense that Dave Ziegler mm-hmm. and Josh McDaniel's are, are are all about giving out free jobs or free, free contracts. You know they had a chance to walk away from Brandon Parker or not, um, and it's a new a new regime that has no ties to him emotionally or professionally whatsoever. They could have easily come in here and said. No, we're not going to – we've seen enough of Brandon Parker, and uh, we don't feel like he's a fit here. We're going to go find something else. But they signed him. I mean, doesn't that – that has to be a sign of something, especially yes. when it's a new regime.
1: It is; it's it's, it's definitely a, a, a sign in the right direction that you know you, they realize that they, they can't find this body size anywhere, they can't find this kind of experience anywhere. And also, uh, Derek Carr probably had a little bit to do with that as well. Like, I feel comfortable uh, with this collection of guys. There is also something that feel like if how are they going to test reps in this early part of the training camp, as well as preseason, and how much will this offensive line see uh, play, you know, deep into the games, like even in the Hall of Fame game, preseason games one, two, and three, Like, how do you feel like they'll get their reps in and what kind of guys will they be going up against? Will they be going up against starters uh, most of the time, or do you think they'll be going up against step pieces? Is that the best way to evaluate this offensive line as they go forward?
0: I, you know, I, I wish I had an answer to that. I don't know. I don't know what the rate... We're going to find out sooner rather than later. Uh, we're under 40 days to, uh, to the Hall of Fame game um, in Canton, Ohio. I don't Expect a lot of the guys uh, to play a lot in that game. The key, the key players, but mm-hmm. you know, you you would have to think, even if Derek Carr's not out there, um, you know, and the and the and the starters at, at the skill positions aren't out there, you would think you would want to get um, your offensive line candidates and whatever your idea of of who that top five group is or what that top five group is to get them some reps uh, out there um, in in a game. But I don't know if that's what this philosophy is all about with this with this regime, I don't know if that's um, you know what they're what they're thinking about doing. I would think that you would though, but you know a coach would argue, okay, why would I do that if Carr's not out there
1: or you know <laughs> right? the other guys aren't out? Uh, i I've, I've been thinking it, that too. Like and then uh, that
0: leads you to think, will he be out there at mm-hmm. any point? Um, history, at least on the New England Patriots side of things. They do play their guys in preseason. Um, I'd have to look, uh, la- you know, uh, uh, last year at, at how that got handled, but I think that they do. And th- th- they, I've seen Tom Brady out on, the, you know, in the preseason. Oh, sure. Um, so is is that going to be a change of philosophy uh, with this group? You almost think that it has to be, especially to get the offensive line squared away a little bit. Um, so we'll see.
1: There, there's one tendency that I remember from those Patriot games. Um, in the preseason and that's because I I've always liked to bet preseason football that there's just been some trends that are just infallible and there are some coaches that do not care about the preseason at all and I love betting against them but one thing that the and it's hard to say if this was Bill Belichick's idea or Josh McDaniels but they would often have um, you know some starters play in the first half but they would always have like that number one uh, set come out after halftime, especially if they had possession to start the third quarter, it was things that they wanted to work on. You know, more situational stuff. You know, coming off the halftime and starting the third quarter, you would see the uh, the first team out there uh, randomly uh, to to do uh, you know whatever they felt they needed to accomplish on that. So it's just something to consider. Yeah,
0: and I think Bill Belichick. Um, I, I I think we're safe to uh, to to uh, declare him old school, right? Um, so uh, he's he's he might be the oldest coach in the NFL at this point. Um, and, and he, he's done things and seen it done a completely different way. And so when you mention your starters coming out uh, to start the third quarter, the, the thinking had always been, in those cases, uh, exactly what you were alluding to. Hey – uh, let's get into halftime. Let's make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as surfacey as they might be in a preseason game, but then also staying right, staying hydrated, uh, getting that that uh, process down pat. Of now, let's go start the second half um, of, a, of a football game. You know, so that we're ready for it when uh, you know the season starts. Exactly. I, I, look, yeah. I always go back to 2017, Sean McVay. I was covering the Rams, that's why I talk about this. Uh, but it was it was it was Sean McVay's first year as a head coach. It was Jared Goff going into his first season as the established starter. It was a whole bunch of new players on the offensive line. It was Robert Woods coming in uh, to play you know, wide receiver. They had just drafted Cooper Cup. Um, and everybody thought, okay – New coach, new offensive line, uh, new skill players. They're, he's going to have to play these guys in the preseason. He's going to have to you know, get them acclimated, and especially installing a new offense. My gosh, he has to get them to play. We were writing columns about this, uh, Clay. Why isn't he doing this? <laughs> yeah, why are you what kind of a guys? mistake is this young coach making? They went out and blew the doors off. They, none of them played. Not one starter offensively played in the preseason. Not one. And everyone was like, what is this guy doing? What is he thinking? And they go out and smoke. And I say smoke. This is a team that won four games the previous year. Smoke the Indianapolis Colts in the season opener. They might have scored 40 points.
1: So there was no... Um, and everyone was worried if they were going to start the year off poorly, you slow. know. Oh my <laughs> gosh,
0: this offense this is new too much. Offense. It's a rookie quarterback essentially, <laughs> uh, who didn't play well in the six games they had played uh, the year before. It was terrible. Uh, this guy thinks he's reinventing the wheel. Well, it didn't hurt him a bit. They went on to win their division and make the playoffs for the first time in ever, so there's arguments to be made on both sides of it. You know, uh, they're learning a new offense. All right, it's Derek Carr and Devontae. Are you really that worried that those guys aren't going to be able to uh, to get it together? I mean, we're talking about elite veteran players that have been there, done that in terms of absorbing a new offense. The thing that I would be slightly concerned about is the offensive line, though.
1: Sure. Yep, and I agree. And now let's take a break on that. We'll take more questions off the Salmon Ash text line six nine one eight seven here on Raider Nation Radio. It's Vinny and Clay on your Funk Tuesday.
0: Now back to the morning tailgate with Clay Baker on RNR nine twenty a.m. Be part of the show. Text us on the Salmon Ash text line. Text the keyword RNR followed by your message to six nine one eight seven.
1: Benjamin Albright, uh, host, analyst with the Broncos flagship. He joins us at 9 o'clock. Marcus Johnson joins us at 9.30. A big third hour coming up next on Raider Nation Radio. Uh, From the text line 69187 asks, What's the likelihood that the New England practice with the Raiders helps ink an offensive lineman or a linebacker trade? One more time. Okay, what's the likelihood that the New England practice with the Raiders helps ink a O-line, offensive lineman, or a linebacker trade?
0: Uh, I don't know if it's going to come down uh, to that, but, I, but um, I'm but i really curious, uh, fascinated, to be honest with you, uh, about those uh, uh, practices that the Raiders are going to have with the New England Patriots, just to be able to see Bill Belichick you know, a, a Bill Belichick coached team um, and joint practicing uh, against the Raiders is kind of unusual. It is yeah. uh, because the Raiders and New England Patriots play this year, uh, but it's so far down the road. Um, and in a lot of ways, let's face it, um, I'm not going to call it an inter squad scrimmage, <laughs> uh, but they, I'm sure that they they have a pretty good idea of what each other does. Uh, anyway, um, you're not going to be given uh, too many secrets away because. They're both cut from the same cloth and uh, kind of running the same uh, stuff. So um, uh, but just to be able to for the Raiders, those are so valuable because the difference uh, between that setting and um, preseason games is as a coach, you're um, you know, the game situation dictates everything. You know, you're, you're the victim or the you're, you're beholden to what happens in the game. You mm-hmm. know, right. oh, I would love to be able to work on my four-minute offense right here. Well, um, you have to get into a situation where the four-minute offense uh, is applicable. I want to work on some goal line stuff. I want to work on some red zone stuff in this game. It would be great, you know, if I could work on this. But you're, again, beholden to the game. You know, your, your starter gets out there and throws an interception or it's a fumble. All of a sudden, it's the other team's ball. There goes your plan. Um, so as opposed to in a, uh, in a, in a joint practice where the coaches get together mm-hmm. and they map out the entire practice for the two days to, to, to give both offenses and defenses a chance to work on cover every base in a game. And you're doing it against an opponent. And even though quote unquote, you're not to get, supposed to get, um, you know, all that physical cause there's the, the same rules still apply, uh, with the tackling and whatnot, um, Drain practices heated. get physical. It gets heated. It yeah. gets heated. Last year, last year uh, the Raiders and the Rams was. <laughs> I, I Did heard the Raiders my, come
1: off the bus just ready for war.
0: Well, I loved that about the Raiders, and I wrote about it plenty of times and talk about it on the radio show. <laughs> the Raiders came with some competitiveness now. Yeah. All right, they weren't going to just roll into Thousand Oaks against the Rams, the Rams, you know, the, the Super Bowl contending team, uh, and just let them dictate those two days. They came in there ready to. Get after it, and I give them a lot of credit for that because to me, that competitive nature um, rolled into the season. You know, Mm -hmm. the Raiders don't do what they do, especially overcoming overcoming everything that they did uh, without having fight in them. And they showed that. uh, In, in, um, I can't name names, uh, but I do know uh, from talking to my Rams people, uh, the Rams will never, (laughs) the Rams will never (laughs) joint practice with the with the Raiders. As long as two guys are still on that roster. I'm not gonna name who those players are. One's not on the roster anymore. So so we're halfway there. <laughs> there is one yes. guy that's still there, that's still on the Raiders roster that uh Sean McVay and those guys are like, I'm never gonna do this again. Right, not was that idiot <laughs> is on the is on the team, uh that instigator or whatever it is, because there were some prominent people that were starting some shenanigans. I'll never forget. I think it was after that first day uh, we were talking to Max Crosby afterwards because there and I and w- we had s- such great access. I was literally on the Raiders sideline <laughs> watching like every, you could hear everything, see everything, and uh, there was like this huge. It was special teams too, a huge special team skirmish. And afterwards, we we're talking to Max Crosby. He goes, "And I'm over there on the sideline, just going, guys, man, chill, <laughs> man, relax, <laughs> dudes, relax. It's just a practice. Relax, man. Like, but he goes, there were so many shenanigans. There was a fight." You know, at, at, at one point, it seemed like every time you turned around, there was a fight going on. And uh, y- y- you love slash hate to see it because it interrupts the progress and the practice schedule. But uh, from a writers' perspective, I really did like uh, that competitive sp- spirit that they showed.
1: It was good to see. And uh, it was hilarious that they had to end that thing early and everyone get on the bus the show's over. We're all done. We've seen all we can do, and apparently this is all we can do because we're done you know, trying to separate everybody. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Benjamin Albright from uh, the Broncos flagship in Denver, he joins us next. We'll go behind a little enemy lines and get some information. Ben Albright next.
0: Hey guys, it's your boy Vinny B from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news, all TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right. Tat products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas.